The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Krolis, and you are listening to Pa the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. A huge happy Friday to you. Thanks for taking a bit of time to spend it here with me at Pod Chat. (laughs) If my voice sounds a little bit weird, I apologize. I think this might be my first episode that I'm I'm recording with a lovely little springtime cold. So if my voice sounds weird, that's why. Um, I'll make sure that if I got any sniffles or coughs at all, I'll just pause my recording. So <laughs> that's the joys of not having to do live live radio. So uh, summer is practically upon us, and I'm picking up a ton of classes around New York City for the summer. This week, I'll be teaching my last few contemporary classes for the time being at Steps on Broadway. So today at, le- at 11.30 a.m., and Sunday at 3.30 p.m., I'll be teaching contemporary classes. Um, and I'll also be teaching an intermediate contemporary class at Broadway Dance Center tomorrow, Saturday, at 4.30 p.m., and an intermediate ballet class at 1.30 p.m. I did those backwards. Uh, but that's for their double dance memorial weekend day series. Um, so if you want to take any classes this weekend and you're in the New York area, you can join me there. Um, beyond all of this, I will continue to teach my advanced beginner ballet classes at Broadway Dance Center through at least June. Um, and I, I've got a couple more things. So you can always check out my website or follow me on Facebook um, just to see what my schedule is because I always put them up. Or instead of listing them off here, you can always also look at Steps on Broadway's website or on Broadway Dance Center's website and just look for the last name Corollas. That's K-E-R-O-L-L-I-S. I'll show you a good time and make sure that your technique is ready for the stage and that your body is ready for the beach. <laughs> Speaking of the beach, as I said, summer is upon us, and with summer comes rest, relaxation, vacation, and for many dancers, summer intensives. <laughs> this episode isn't particularly catered to students, as it really is for everybody, but I remember the first time that I attended a summer program away from home. I really experienced my first challenge to how I was trained. When you first begin training, the environment is usually quite insular. You learn whatever technique, style, or affectations that the school offers, and you most likely imagine that every young aspiring dancer in the world is learning the exact same material the exact same way that you are. Um, I mean, it makes sense. When you're young, you don't think about the, the larger, grander scheme of things. Over time, if you're receiving a proper education, you'll be taught that there are a variety of techniques. Uh, Some differences may be as simple as carriage of the head or accenting movements in or out like tondus or jetés or grandbatmas. But for the most part, you imagine that these are minorly different choices. This is pretty much how I viewed the ballet and modern dance world <laughs> as, a, as a teenager. But the moment that I stepped into the studios of the Houston Ballet Academy at the ripe training age of 16, 
for their summer intensive back, I think it was to 1999. I think it was 99. <laughs> my, but my world was changed the moment that I, I started at Houston Ballet Academy summer program. We were held to extremely high standards where there was a definite right and wrong. And once I started moving from programs uh, of different styles like School of American Ballet, the Care of Academy of Ballet, and back to Houston Ballet Academy as a or no, actually not the academy, but back to Houston Ballet as a professional, I was constantly told that other schools or companies or teachers were doing it wrong. I found myself confused and often at odds with what even felt right and wrong within my own body. <laughs> How did I determine what was right and come out where I am today as a dance educator and as a dancer? So I figured we would chat about that and from there we would just... Go forward. So let's discuss. Going from training program to training program, I found that sometimes certain parts of my technique were fluid across the board. Generally, a plie is a plie and a tendu is a tendu. But the things that were considered right and wrong were more in the execution. For instance, at the Kirov, we spent more time focusing on tendus and jetés all the way to Grand Bat Maz with the accent out to show the line that we were creating with the leg. Where once I went to the School of American Ballet, we spent more time focusing on the in-accent in those same movements to get our legs back under us. Um, and really, the the reasons for this were to achieve more speed uh, from bar to center to petit allegro and to grand allegro. Because us Americans were known for our speed. The School of American Ballet was very aggressive in stating what was right and wrong. Um, <laughs> I actually remember my my summer that I spent there uh, at the School of American Ballet before I was accepted to attend this prestigious year-round program. Peter Martins, who is the Ballet Master-in-Chief of New York City Ballet, or uh, honestly, he's the Artistic Director, but because Balanchine is the god there, <laughs> nobody else shall be artistic director. Um, and I think he also named himself Ballet Master in Chief. But anyway, so he, he runs the company, Peter Martins. And uh, he also is involved in the School of American Ballet. So he had taught class for us. Um, and I was told that certain things, especially the way that I used my head and arms for the port de bras were wrong. I had just come directly from the Kirov Academy of Ballet. So I was extremely Russian trained, very Vaganova. At a certain point, I remember Peter Martins making a, a general statement about how wrong the Russians were in some aspects of training. <laughs> After class, I happened to end up, I don't even know how this happened, but I happened to end up in the same elevator as Mr. Martins. And, of course, we were all standing there, all struck, like, should we look at him, should we talk to him, or should we just pretend like he's not even in here? So, he kindly asked us all struck students where we trained. Uh, one was from North Carolina School for the Arts. Uh, I don't remember where the other one was from. Uh, but when I stated that I graduated from the Kirov, <laughs> he gently apologized and stared forward for the rest of the ride. So <laughs> I think that he kind of was recognizing that he was pretty much insulting the Russian training the entire time, saying it was incorrect. Um, I just remember this moment so clearly. <laughs> and I remember how it influenced my thinking when I stayed for the year and moved on to start my professional career with Houston Ballet that following season. Having spent a solid year training in the Balanchine style and loving it, I really adapted quickly to the choices and affectations of New York City Ballet's training regime. The movement and look just felt right on my body, so when they told me that this was the only correct way to do things, I subscribed. 
But when I moved on the following year to the classical Houston Ballet for my apprenticeship, and then back to the Balanchine style at Pacific Northwest Ballet the following year after that, I started to find myself at odds with my training and really my understanding of right and wrong in technique. Actually, at a certain point, I remember after joining PNB, I, I remember completely forgetting how to do my port bras in class because the two different ways I had been told were right both felt okay. But I couldn't decide which one to do and neither felt right or wrong. So I would find that often in class I would just, <laughs> if we did the same combination, sometimes I would do my port bras different for the, the combination. If we did it like twice, I would do it one way and then the other way. Um, and this was really the beginning of an epiphany for me. While not a winning moment for me, I realized that right and wrong really had nothing to do with a 100% fact-based reality. But it was really all in the choices people were making around me. And I had to choose whether to do what people were doing around me and fit in or to do the other thing and stand out. And even more confusing was that this decision could help me stand out in either a negative or even a positive way, depending upon the reactions of those around and above me. Um, so like ballet masters or people in charge of casting. Taking this conversation in a slightly different direction, I want to talk about how the staging of rubies brought me further along this path of understanding about the rights and wrongs of ballet. The first time I ever got to perform one of my favorite works, <laughs> which is Balanchine's Rubies, obviously, because I just said that, but it was back in the mid-2000s. I remember Elise Bourne staged this work on us at PNB, um, and it was a ballet that I would eventually perform over 40 times throughout my career, and the one that I actually danced in my final show with PNB. When we first learned this ballet, we didn't know anything about it. Timing, counts, style, steps, impetus for movement. Once we finally got it into our bodies to a place that felt right, we had three years where another stager didn't have to come in when we performed it. That's a contractual thing. Usually uh, companies purchase the rights for uh, choreography and you get it for a certain amount of time before somebody has to come back and restage the work. So when we performed it again, we just rehearsed it with uh, a ballet master who was in the studio or... Uh, we did it based off of our own mental and muscle memory and just went along with it. After the company surpassed its three-year period where they owned the rights, we were required to have another stager come and reteach the ballet. Um, I can't really remember who restaged it for us after Elise Bourne, but it definitely was not Elise Bourne. Now, many of us dancers had already performed this ballet for three years, so for somebody to come in and tell us what, we, what, what to do felt kind of patronizing, but we had to go along with it so that we could uh, get the work, get the rights to the work again. So, I remember sitting in the studio with my colleagues, and as certain aspects of the work changed through this repetitor's memory of the piece, uh, dancers would whisper under their breath that this step was wrong, or that the timing of this section was wrong. And you know what? I I actually believed it. I I was eventually one of those dancers that would say the exact same thing. There there was no fluidity in the matter. There was a right and there was a wrong and there was no in between. And as my career continued and I got to repeat certain works, there was always a right way to do it and there was always a wrong way to do it. <laughs> and what I now find the most interesting part of this is that the first way that you learn something 
almost always, whether it's technique or choreography, as dancers, we tend to just exclaim that the first way that we were taught is the correct way. And anything else that is that uh, contradicts or challenges that, it's wrong. I really think this is, it's really such a fascinating concept. I, I feel so lucky <laughs> that I trained in Vaganova at home as a kid and then at the Kirov Academy of Ballet. And then I got to experience Balanchine Technique at the School of American Ballet and Pacific Northwest Ballet. And then when I went to the Houston Ballet Academy summer program, it was kind of an English style under Ben Stevenson that once I joined the company altered a, a bit more towards like a Vaganova Australian style under Stanton Welch. Um, and as it, I've become an educator, it has become so much more clear to me as well, um, all of these influences in my technique and the dancer that I've become. There is no right or wrong when it comes to technique. And this may sound odd because ballet is so incredibly, infinitely particular. But the determination of right and wrong is not concrete. It is fluid to the person or people in the front of the room, uh, the people that are reviewing uh, programs that they watch companies perform, magazines that are touting dancers of certain styles and different companies. Um, it's really a cultural thing, like a cultural decision. For instance, if a director wants you to turn from fourth position with two bent knees, but you train to only bend the front knee in the preparation, which is right? Technically, both ways work. But the wrong way <laughs> is really the way that may hold you back from being seen as somebody who is easy to work with, the way that may make you appear insubordinate, the way that makes you not look like a part of the group, or the way that prevents you from being casted well. And granted, one may help you turn better, or one may not, but people turn both ways, so really it's, it's purely opinion at that point. Now, there are some times that technique may be incorrect, and for the most part, this just comes down to physical safety, <laughs> um, and I'm sure there are even arguments in there with turnout um, and forcing a little bit of turnout. Anyway, for instance, one of, one of these things with physical safety they, it happens in my contemporary classes. Uh, we often execute extremely wide and deep second and fourth positions in my, my classes. And if your knee isn't directly over your first and second metatarsal, or as most people know it, your big toe and your second toe, uh, can you call it your index toe? <laughs> um, but anyway, if you don't have those, your knee over those toes, you run the risk of injuring your knee, whether it be uh, strain, uh, sprain, tearing something, anything like that. We could argue that it is a choice here, but it is really a choice of injury versus safety. So in this instance, I would personally say that there is a right and wrong. But then somebody could come to me and say the same about trying to achieve that 180-degree turnout I was just talking about. Practically nobody has perfect 180-degree turnout, but if you aren't attempting to achieve it, you will likely not be achieving a career in ballet. Not that it can't happen, but I'm just saying. There are exceptions to the rules. <laughs> so, as you can see, this conversation is extremely complicated. I wish that most dance educators and artistic leaders in the studio would shy away from calling aspects of technique right or wrong, uh, unless it's dangerous, as technique and aesthetic are based, from, based off of a generalized and collective opinion that doesn't always match across the board or across the world. 
It is important for dancers to understand that there are options, choices, preferences, loopholes, and so much more in developing yourself into the type of dancer you want to be. As a young student, it is important to learn the rules of one playbook before you learn another playbook. Uh, and that, that might be overwhelming to have five playbooks at once. But it's important to understand the rules before you start making your own decision to keep, bend, or break those rules. But once you become a professional, I hope that you feel that you can use the tools of your training and the knowledge of your experience to make decisions in your dancing without the strict idea that there is only one right way of dancing. If you can find this balance, I feel that you can be the most successful, most malleable, um, and also the most uh, a dancer with great pride, a dancer with most one of the most prideful dancers you could be. So, since this episode has been so much about my fluid opinion of what right and wrong is in technique, I'd love to hear your opinion on the matter as well. So, please shoot me a message and let me know whether you agree or not, or your thoughts on the matter, or anything pertaining to that. (laughs) The more I hear from all of you, the more I get to add to my pool of information, and it really helps me shape uh, a a well-rounded perspective, because I don't think that everything is black and white, and I like to keep on growing and gaining as much information as I possibly can. So, with that said, I hope that you have a fantastic Memorial Day weekend. Go ahead out there, get a tan, be safe, and maybe dance a little. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod the Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. You can find them on premierdancenetwork.com. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis featuring my choreography and choreography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod the Chat. I hope you return next Friday to Talk Dance with Me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.